Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. the show I am joined by Shi Hung Padma who's the most amazing spiritual teacher who today is going to talk to you about suffering, meditation, Buddhism, clinical, spiritual, loss, parenting, childhood development, relationships and more. I was called to the bedside in these cases where um, people were struggling. It wasn't, uh, you know, there were other people who were helping them on a physical level. Um, but regardless of whatever could uh, be achieved with the physical intervention, uh, people still have a need, always have a need to come into uh, a sense of connection with themselves and with their relationships. And that's the same whether we're working within the framework of Western medicine or we're working in a more holistic uh, setting like Omega Institute. And, and that's really the focus of my research, which is how do these traditional Buddhist healing practices help us to reconnect with ourselves, with our um, relationships and, and with our world? There's so much science, research and inspiration. So let's go meet Shi Hung now. show I'm delighted to be joined by Shi Hung Padma who's the most amazing author and spiritual teacher so hello there hello thank you thank you so much for joining us you've written this most beautiful book called Field of Blessings but I know it's come from your own life where you've been creating positive changes so please take us back and tell us how your positive changes journey began Well, my journey began as an emergency medical technician when I was still in high school. And during that time, it gave me a real window into the suffering that goes on in life and the fact that um, life is impermanent. And that produced a big question for me, which is what do we do with that? What what I do with that? How could I really be of benefit to people? and alleviate their suffering. So that started with EMT training, uh, but then across time, I really became curious to look at the root, um, you know, to get at the root of, of the, the causes and conditions of their suffering. And that brought me to meditation and uh, ultimately to study these traditional Buddhist healing practices. So you not, like spiritual before you're very clinical with like working like in a 
the emergency services and ambulance or did you grow up with spirituality around you? Um, well, I grew up actually as Catholic, and I feel like the Catholic um, education really helped me quite a bit, although not the way that they expected it to. Um, I think it was really helpful for providing me with a kind of ethical moral foundation and a sense that life was not just for my own happiness, but also to be a benefit to others. And, and certainly that is a, a through line that continues in my life and my practice. So um, I think the, the place where the clinical kind of shifted into the spiritual is that um, reality of clinical failure. Uh, four out of five times in the field, uh, CPR doesn't work. That um, we will have been working on someone's body to revive them and ultimately someone will have to go to the next room to the family and say, I'm sorry, but there isn't anything else we can do. And um, this year I was working at UCSF, you know, a major medical center in California. And it is absolutely the same. Even with the very best technology and the most gifted clinicians, um, there's still the reality of human mortality and this necessity in that case of, of um, taking a spiritual approach and, and seeing that even in the situations where there cannot be physical curing, there can be spiritual healing. So who's the spiritual healing for? Because I'm assuming you're saying that when CPR fails, they die. Where yeah. does the spiritual healing come in with that? Well, the spiritual healing can be in um, reconciliation and the restoration of, of relationships before a person passes or um, you know, in the midst of their uh, physical distress, uh, there can be a new unity in the family, a renewal of love. Those are the, those are the kind of elements that I would consider a spiritual healing. So do you still work clinically now? You're still in the hospital doing that as well for your spiritual um, teacher? I just finished working in the hospital about a week ago. Oh, okay. So actually right now I'm uh, teaching at Omega Institute, which is a beautiful holistic retreat center in the Hudson River Valley of New York State. And so I'm here as the meditation teacher in residence. It's a, a great way for me to replenish my well so that I can be a benefit to more people. I love that. I was asking because I, my background, I'm sure many of the listeners now know, is that I worked as a chemotherapy nurse. So I worked a lot in clinical. Mm -hmm. But my next book, Good Grief, The Age Said Approach, Modern Day Grief Healing, mm -hmm. sort of shares why I worked, walked away from the clinical because I'd seen so much of the spiritual and, you know, that when it comes to transition to another existence and always consciousness. And it just didn't resonate with me anymore. I became more that we are more than this physical body. So I was just interested yes. if you're still clinical, but you've also gone into the spiritual side of our health as well. Yeah. Uh, so at UCSF as a chaplain, um, I was called to the bedside in these cases where um, people were struggling. It wasn't, uh, you know, there were other people who were helping them on a physical level. Um, but regardless of whatever could uh, be achieved with the physical intervention, uh, people still have a need, always have a need to come into uh, a sense of connection with themselves and with their relationships. And that's the same whether we're working within the framework of Western medicine or we're working in a more holistic 
uh, setting like Omega Institute. And, and that's really the focus of my research, which is how do these traditional Buddhist healing practices help us to reconnect with ourselves, with our um, relationships and, and with our world? And I started to read your book, Field of Blessings, and it is about your research, isn't it? A bit like Good Grief, where we're looking at the ancient ways of using it in modern day healthcare. So for those listening today, what do you mean by Field of Blessings? What does that mean for us? Field of Blessings refers to, um, in a traditional Buddhist literature, the way in which the presence of an awakened being would actually catalyze healing and awakening in those around. Just as a stone thrown into water will ripple out. In the same way, whatever work we do to awaken, um, to reconnect with ourselves, that will have an effect upon everyone we come in contact with. So is that like oneness that we are all interconnected even though we can't see it? Well, it's certainly, it's, it's through that connection that the work that we do, you know, the presence that we bring to life um, then begins to have a healing impact upon our world. And this, this has been researched. Um, it's been shown that when one person practices loving kindness, for instance, people six removes away become kinder. I love that. I know about the power of prayer. I remember watching a documentary years ago because I saw my grand, she was like Catholic and she was always praying and things like that. But to actually see the science behind it, that if you pray and believe, the power of belief when we all come together, yes. it, it, you know, there is science behind it nowadays. Back in those days, you know, it's sort of, just an interesting program, but there is proof that when you think positive, you attract positive, when you pray and believe that things turn out better. So I love the fact there's so much research going on. Yeah, it's it's been an exciting time to be in the field because uh, particularly uh, there, there have been so many findings in the area of uh, relational neuroscience we've kind of understood uh, that a, a healthy connection uh, enhances people's wellness on uh, many levels, but it's just now that we can show exactly how that works uh, neurologically. And so out of that, we begin to understand just uh, scientifically that the mind is more than the brain. You know, the mind is an embodied and, and relational process. And when we recognize that, um, that completely changes our paradigms from a paradigm of isolation to a paradigm of connection. I love that. I have a death cafe here and the little mantra for it is like participation, not isolation. And it is about me getting people that are grieving from their homes and stepping into a new environment and having those conversations. So I love that. What I also picked up on, you said about healthy connection. And I know that in your research around healing, you talk about attachment theory. Mm. So tell us about that. So attachment theory is something that sometimes people have thought is, is just referring to either what happens to children or what happens in our romantic relationships. But really, it's about all of our relationships. So on, on a basic level, I, many of, of your listeners might be already uh, knowledgeable about uh, core attachment theory. 
the basic idea is that the relationship we have with our early caregivers actually is the foundation for all of our relationships in later life. Those um, first couple years of life are really critical. And th the patterns of connection that are formed then are really wired into the developing brain. However, at that time, the brain doesn't have the conscious memory online yet. You know, the prefrontal cortex of the brain is not completely developed yet. So all of these really core patterns are imprinting on the um, limbic system, the amygdala, which is not a conscious memory, it's really an implicit one. And that's why love is, is such a complex thing because it's really predicated on the circuitry that is unconscious. Now, if we have a connection with our caregivers that's basically secure, when we need um, help or reassurance, it's there, then we could say we develop what's called secure attachment. The way that we connect to ourselves and to the people around us is relatively free of um, encumbrance or uh, fear. We can relate in a way that's easy and natural. However, um, on the other hand, if one of our uh, caregivers is a bit dismissive, you know, isn't really emotionally available, then we might have a kind of pattern of expecting relationships to be hard work. You know, we, we might actually um, stifle some of our own impulse towards connection because we've received in early life this message that that's not a good idea or that kind of outreaching doesn't work. And so because of that, we will have less capacity for being able to connect with our own body, with our own emotions, and also to be able to read and relate to the emotions and connections of others. Um, on the other hand, if we have a parent that does strive to be available, but is a bit preoccupied uh, with their own uh, life or with their own story, then we might develop what's called um, anxious attachment, which is uh, where the, the system is a little bit overly primed. It's overworking, overdoing in relationships. And um, in that case, the um, emotional circuitry is uh, chronically over stimulated. Uh, we, can, we can say that that is often a setup for uh, patterns of anxiety or depression. There's, there's lots of uh, limbic information coming through. There's a lot of emotion, you know, but the emotion isn't always exactly um, balanced. And so then the work is to come into good connection with those places in our own emotions that are a bit chaotic uh, so that those experiences can be more integrated and we can respond in a way that is connected to our own emotions, but at the same time, not overwhelmed um, by old information 
that uh, isn't really apropos to present day. You know, so that we're not preoccupied by those early life experiences. And the way that we come into that is through being in good connection with our own body mind and finding connections, finding uh, important healing relationships that are trustworthy through which uh, whatever our early life experience was, we can now uh, bring our relational patterns up to date and develop what is called earned secure attachment. So if you've had, I don't say a bad upbringing, but if you've had like a childhood where you don't feel that secure, that heard, that visible, mm. you say that you heal by finding better relationships in your adulthood? Precisely. Yes, whether it's a mentor, a friend, uh, a lover, uh, whoever that might be, you know, whatever that trustworthy relationship is, that's right there. We have the ca capacity to do the work to bring our relational pattern up to date and, and, and earn that secure attachment that brings us a kind of basic happiness. So that's quite courageous because if all you've ever known is sort of relations that make you feel insecure or not heard or invisible yeah what could people do there's gonna be people out of the day that have that kind of upbringing or broken relationship how can they get there do you mean how do they have that leap of faith to learn yeah it's that that's that's where it's absolutely important to find um a, that person whether it's the your mentor or therapist or um you know a good brother or sister in, in some way. I, as a spiritual teacher, I hope to, that I serve that way to my community. And then through that, we experience um, being mirrored. You know, we, we experience someone holding space for us and that then gives us the capacity to hold space for ourselves. And so when I did this research with the Buddhist healers that I spoke to, they said that that's the relationship they try to create with a client. Uh, by creating inner space uh, through their meditation, they're then able to create sacred space and therapeutically with a client. And they hope that then serves as the model through which all of the client's relationships can be healing relationships. That's really interesting. I'm a huge advocate for self-care, self-love, self-healing. <laughs> I think everything yeah. blings, you know, with ourselves because with ourselves from our first breath to our last. Mm. Do you believe in that as well, that we have to start with ourselves? Oh, precisely, completely. I, as um, one meditation teacher said, you know, even if we looked through the entire world, we would find no one more worthy of loving kindness than ourselves. We can't offer anyone anything that we haven't already been able to offer to ourselves. So, so by creating this sacred space for ourselves and uh, forming a kind of unconditional kindness and acceptance with our own body-mind, that inner space is, is then the basis through which we're able to enter into good relationship with others. Yeah, I was just checking because I know from where listeners reached out to me after certain episodes, 
they really struggle like self-worth, which means they don't feel worthy of getting help or worthy of having that new relationship or picking up the phone to a therapist. And so I was just thinking like, how do they do it? It's just seemed like it's going to leap straight into therapy. But as you say, mm-hmm. it is start with yourself. So you are worthy, you're caring, you know what you like and don't like. So it's a starting point. That's right. All right. So I think one has to have, uh, you know, enough trust in oneself uh, to make that first move. Yeah. Uh, Just simply just enough trust in oneself to reach out and find um, find a therapist or a healer, someone who's going to help to hold space and reflect and mirror back. Right. And then that can be the catalyst, you know, for many other healing relationships. Yeah. Well, I loved in the book, some of the researchers, I can't remember her whole name, I'm sure you know, but Heidi, someone, and she had quotes like, she'd always heard clients saying, I felt like I was living half my life before, I felt something was missing, yeah. which I know I can relate to at stages in my life. And this is what we're saying here, like when you don't have that greatest attachment in the beginning, you can go through life feeling like something's missing. Mm-hmm. So to me, obviously slightly biased, I'm honest, Hong, but to me, that sounds like a <laughs> ideal time to make a positive change when you know something's missing it's Mm -hmm. not enough what you've got Mm -hmm. so you talk of this of visions of wholeness so tell us about that well visions of wholeness refers to um the way in which these healers you know are able to hold that vision of wholeness for their client they're able to see the client in what we would say their buddha nature you know in in that 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 core wholeness that each one of us has without exception and regardless of their neurosis or regardless of their flaws uh, being able to see and anchor that vision within the client gives then that to the client that possibility of seeing and anchoring that for themselves that's beautiful now you've spoken about meditation being one of the many tools that can help people create positive changes. What other tools have you used? Well, I, right now I think um, one of the really powerful ways in which uh, the Buddhist practices have been brought into a therapeutic setting is through somatic experiencing. Uh, Peter Levine, who is, he works psychologically but uh, somatically. So working through the body's own knowing, we then have access to a deeper well. Because again, these patterns are not anchored in the prefrontal cortex where we have conscious access to them. They're really located in the limbic system. And the limbic system um, knows things somatically. So working then through the body, Uh, One of the techniques that's quite simple that I've uh, shown and shared with people is a kind of self-hug where we place the left hand up above the right shoulder, the right hand below the left shoulder, you know, and so in those moments when a, a client is having a moment of anxiety or panic, that's um, one of the practices that can help to, uh, reset the system. Another one that he really encourages is using a kind of um, hum together with that and and letting that hum come from the lower belly, which is just a basic low sound like mm, 
that uh, together with uh, the self-holding uh, begins to uh, shift us from the place of um, the anxious response, you know, to a, a place of greater centeredness. Uh, the, the humming actually helps to activate the vagus nerve system. So when we're in the place of anxiety, what's frequently happening is that those anxious thoughts are, are creating a kind of negative feedback loop with our limbic system. You know, the mind has an anxious thought and then it gets amplified by what's called the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So those, um, glands then send uh, the kind of stress hormones, cortisol and such uh, ricocheting through the body, which you know, then gives us that experience of butterflies and a racing heart and thinking, oh no, right? So one way to reset that is to consciously send a message through th those same pathways that things are basically all right. And so that by making that low humming noise in the gut, um, we are basically uh, replacing some of that um, anxious feedback, you know, with a, with a different message. You know, the, the, what the humming does is it uh, strengthens that uh, awareness of our centeredness in our gut. I love that. I know I mentioned in my next book, Good Grief, about, I call it like sound healing. So of course you can sing or you can sort of you know, dance to music. There's that element, but it is about, like, I think I've got like the bee breath and like the om and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it is like a sound healing. Yeah. So, yeah. And again, yeah. it is an ancient tool, isn't it? Very much, very much. So in, in a traditional Buddhist context, the form that would take would be chanting. And so uh, chanting is a traditional way to bring the energy from, um, you know, the, like the mind where we're sort of overthinking and or the heart where we're just over emoting uh, back into the gut, which in many, not only Buddhist, but other indigenous systems is considered to be the place of, um, the place of balance, the place of power. So it, very often people will hear that, that beautiful um, multi-note uh, Tibetan chanting, you know, and, and when we hear that, we can't help but be moved by it. It's, it sounds a little bit like um, heavy machinery. It, 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 and, and yet, right, this, as we hear that, uh, it already has a profoundly grounding, uh, uh, grounding effect. So we can create that grounding effect in a, a quite simple way just by making that those low tones ourselves. I love that. So is that class as sound healing or is that subtle energy or is it both? What is it when you're doing that? Well, that would that would be that would be sound healing. Um, it, it also begins to cross into subtle energy. And another really simple uh, way of working with those energy systems in, from a, uh, a Korean Buddhist approach is called sunyu, which means meditation play. Again, the idea is if we have too much energy in the mind or in the emotions without balance 
into the tanjin, the lower belly, the hara, then uh, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to get off balance, uh, put off by life. But we can, at, at those moments when we're feeling uh, anxious or overwhelmed, we can restore balance, simply taking some nice big breaths, breathing in, bring the arms above our head, breathing out, bring them down and making a big circle. And that's quite subtle. I know that wasn't a play on words at all, how you? <laughs> but it is quite subtle because if you're at work and feeling stressed, you're going to that meeting or you want to pick the kids up from school, yeah. you could just pretend you're stretching in the playground. It doesn't look like you're doing some ancient tool, does it? No, it's, it, it, it fits right in. You know, we can, we can find space for this. Even if we're working at a desk, you know, we can, we can take that stretch. And, and through the, taking those moments to recenter and reconnect with our body, uh, we are establishing patterns of greater ease so that when we do experience a little bit of surprise or um, angst, then uh, our bodies will be able to uh, self-regulate and um, you know, come into a place of, of greater ease and balance in and of themselves because it's become a kind of body habit. I find it fascinating so, because I think like lots of people when you wake up, you intuitively or default mode, whatever it is, yeah. just start by stretching your arms up like, oh, here goes another yeah. day. Yeah. yeah, or if you're stuck at your desk, I know I sort of like, if I think, what am I trying to write? I do naturally put my arms up. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the same not only in this uh, Korean Buddhist practice of Sanyu, but also in the, uh, Taoism, right? The, pra the practice of Buddhism, Buddhist Qigong, actually, both in Korea and in China, this is the place where Taoism and, and Buddhism uh, came into dialogue together. So both in Korea and in China, we have this sort of this uh, Buddhist Qigong. In the, in the Chinese Qigong, uh, that, this movement, bring the arms up and uh, connecting with what we could consider that the energy of the sky or the heavens, this, that's called, uh, it's part of what's called the four golden wheels. I've never heard of that, the four golden wheels. I love it. Mm, yeah, that is, that comes from uh, the work of uh, medical Qigong teacher, Robert Peng. I love that. So mm. in the work that you're doing in the research, I know you call it the four golden wheels, but is that like encouraging the listener to work with the elements which are naturally around us? Uh, completely, yes. So could they do that each and every day? Like, just, just like we do this because we're in the UK. So if mm -hmm. I woke up this morning, it's pouring of rain. Yeah. How could I make that into a positive? Well, I think uh, doing exercises like this, it, it helps us uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, you know, have a sense of greater resources and a connection with something that is greater than ourselves. Yeah. Right? So it just expands the possibilities. Yeah. No, I'm smiling as you say that because as people know that I worked at end of life as mm. a chemotherapy nurse. And one of the life lessons of the dime was connected saying, beyond yourself and it's always sort of like whether you do voluntary work in your community you connect to god allah universe your soul you know and it is that connection and it is 
life affirming. Oh, for sure. So you shared with us, bless you, meditation, sound, subtle energy, the elements and that. For people today, if they're thinking, well, I don't know where to start, I'm on a hung. What would you say is the one positive change they could make today? Um, I would say um, begin, begin with ourselves. Uh, begin by um, holding space for ourselves in a way that is kind and connected to the body. Uh, maybe take a few moments every morning just to listen, just to bring mindful awareness to the breath and mindfulness to the body. And um, as we do that, then the breath will become deeper. As the breath becomes deeper, um, the body relaxes. And as the body relaxes, the mind relaxes. So then we're going to directly benefit from that practice and, and habit of um, holding our connection to the body with some kindness. I love what you're saying there. I swear by a morning routine. I just think it sets me up for the day. So I sort of wake up and think, what am I grateful for and why? And it is like I've had shelter from the house overnight or I've had peace and things like that. And then I do my 10 minutes yoga. Then I draw a card for the day ahead. So I love what you're saying. Like when you wake up, listen to your body. It's a beautiful way to start. Thank you. So bless you. That's really great. Like you're saying, like start the day like that. But also you have a freebie for the listeners today. So tell them about that on your website. Yeah, on my website, I have a uh, meditation video. Anyone can access and drop into this uh, direct experience of relaxing and focusing. And that hopefully will be a good place to get started. Thank you so much. Shi Hung Padma, I've absolutely loved today. And for those who's listening, the book is called Field of Blessings out there with John Hunt Publishing. So thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from shellyfnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing.